0: My purpose uh, today is to whet your appetite for 1 Corinthians. This is a bit abnormal. Normally, I'll work through a text. Uh, today, it's a book uh, of 16 chapters. I want to whet your appetite for this book. I want you to be uh, reading it. I want you to think about it. I want it to grow on you. And so uh, as we work through this, I would anticipate that you've got an open Bible or if someone's got one near you. You can kind of snuggle up to them and uh, read the scriptures and follow along here. As we go through. It's my pleasure to begin this study with you. It's with fear and trepidation that I do that. I have preached or taught through 1 Corinthians on many, many occasions. But I really look forward to doing it here. And I will take this study and preparation very seriously. As uh, we prepare to study his word together. In the very first chapter of 1 Corinthians. You could turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In that chapter in verse 1 we find out who the authors of this book are. It says, Paul called an apostle by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. Paul writes this book, and a man named Sosthenes helps him in the composition of it. He tells us as well in chapter 16 and verse 21, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. While well, there's some deal of controversy about the authorship of Paul, the very fact that he puts it at the beginning and the end of this book seals it for me. Paul the Apostle writes this letter. He writes it in about 55 AD. And what you need to know is that Paul not only wrote this letter, he also planted the churches of Corinth, or the church in Corinth. And if you want to read more about that this week, you could read about that in Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 18 where we can see how God moved or used the Apostle Paul to plant the church about five years before he writes 1 Corinthians. And as we read through 1 and 2 Corinthians this morning, or we we start studying them, I think you'll see Paul's serious concern for the city and the church at Corinth. This morning, we're going to do two things in our study. We're going to do a brief overview of the book, And then I want to to look just uh, very quickly as well at a driving theme of the epistle. I think you'll find 1 Corinthians to be both intensely practical and theologically loaded. Their contributions to the way we would act in in our families, in our homes, in the marketplace, uh, in the church... But then yet there are contributions to areas of theology like Christology, the study of Christ, the study of the Holy Spirit, the study of eschatology, and on and on it goes. You'll see theology here as well. So as we begin our study, we look first at uh, the structure of 1 Corinthians. My opinion in 1 Corinthians, Paul is doing two things. He is treating problems or uh, dealing with problems, and he's answering problems questions. There are actually six of each one of these. As we look at him treating problems, turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 11. There are these moments in the epistle or in the letter where Paul will come right out and tell us that he's dealing with a specific problem. And the way he indicates that often in 1 Corinthians is by saying that he received or he heard a report from someone in the church about what was going on. So look in your Bible at 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 10. Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people. That there's quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Here, the the first of many different times in the epistle, Paul will say that he received a report from someone about a problem in the church. Here he names the source, it's Chloe's people. If you've got questions about how our daughter received her name, I I was preaching through 1 Corinthians (laughs) at the time. Chloe's people, some people in the church of Corinth, uh, had told Paul that there was division in the church. We know also at the end of 1 Corinthians in chapter 16 that there are three travelers who come from from Corinth to Ephesus where Paul is. They make a voyage to him. Their names are Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus, 1 Corinthians 16, 17. And so one of the things that will help you as you get into 1 Corinthians this year is to know that whether it was one of these three travelers who came to Paul from Corinth, or whether it was Chloe and her people, Paul hears about different problems in the church. As a matter of fact, look in your Bibles just briefly at 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 1. Chapter 5 in verse 1, he uses the same language here and he says, it is actually reported that there's sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not even tolerated among the pagans, for a man is having his father's wife. Paul hears not only of division in the church, he also hears of immorality. He says, I've received a report. You see that in your Bible? When Paul uses language like this, I think he's telling us that he's treating or dealing with problems in the church at Corinth. He has other language like this as well. Turn to 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 18. 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 18 and listen to what Paul says here. He says, "For in the first place, 1 Corinthians 11:18, for in the first place when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you." We'll talk more about chapter later, 11 later, but I want you to see that Paul is hearing things, right, from the churches of Corinth. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and for one more example of this, I could give you others, but 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 12. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 12, now now if Christ is proclaimed from the dead, how can some of you be saying that there's no resurrection of the dead? You see, Paul is aware that some of the Corinthians are denying the resurrection of the dead. He says, how can some of you be saying this? He's heard it. And so one of the things that Paul does in the letter is he deals with problems. There are six of them, and I'll just go very briefly through them with you. Back in chapter 1, verse 10, he said that he had a design or a purpose for the church that they would be unified, to be of the same mind and same judgment, but that Chloe's people had told them had told Paul that they were dividing up, following different apostles. Some of them said, I like Paul better, or I like Apollos. Perhaps some of them liked Apollos' preaching better than Paul the apostle. There are others in the church who said, no, no, Apollos isn't my apostle. I like Cephas better. Who's Cephas? Peter. Peter. Some say, I like Peter better. And then perhaps some of the pious. Now, we'll talk about this more in detail later. We're saying, no, I'm not of Paul or Paulus or Peter. I follow Christ. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. See, the church was dividing up into different groups, following after different human leaders in the church. And so the first problem that Paul targets in 1 Corinthians is that there were some who were following after and embracing human leaders, and human wisdom in the church, instead of embracing the wisdom found in God, God's wisdom, that is found in things like the cross of Jesus Christ, which is the rest of chapter one, which is uh, revealed through the spirit of God's wisdom, not man's wisdom. God's wisdom is revealed through the spirit of God, chapter two. And he continues to describe their following human wisdoms in in chapter 3 and 4. And he ends this section with a strong confrontation. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 4 for a moment. Look with me in your Bibles at verse 18. After declaring all the ways they're following after human wisdom and applying it to the church. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 4.18, Some of you are arrogant as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find, not the talk. I don't, want it. I don't want the human words of these arrogant people, but I will find out about their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk or in words, but in power. What do you wish? Should I come to you with a rod, or with love and a spirit of gentleness, at the end, after giving four means of confrontation in this section, he says, really, you've got a choice. You can either choose love, or you can choose the rod, which I call the timeless universal motivator, the rod. And unfortunately, we find out in 2 Corinthians, what did the Corinthians choose? I'll take the rod, please. So Paul will come from Ephesus to help them. He's going to confront them with their problem of following human wisdom. Chapters 5 and 6, there are three problems, three sins that he targets here. There, the first one is immorality. If you look in your Bible at 5.1, I've already read this to you. There was sexual immorality in the church in that a man was having an ongoing physical relationship with his mother or stepmother. And so in chapter 5, a chapter on church discipline, Paul tells the Corinthians, I've already decided what to do with this person. The person who insists on having this uh, ungodly relationship with his his mother or stepmother. A relationship not even the pagans will tolerate. Deliver this person to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that the spirit will be saved in the day of the Lord. Paul tells them how to handle the sin of immorality, but that's not the only sin in chapter 5. Look down in chapter 5 and verse 2 in your Bible. And you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this deed be removed from among you. Instead of the Corinthian assembly mourning about an immorally wicked believer, their arrogance about it. Look down in your Bible at chapter 5, verse 6. He says, your boasting is not good. Not only are they arrogant, they're boasting or bragging in. A believer having the freedom to do something like this and yet worship in the local assembly. And so Paul's got two sins in chapter 5 he's going after. One is immorality, and the second one is arrogance. And I like what Gordon Fee says about the arrogance in the chapter. He says, actually... Normally, our attention goes toward the immorality, he said, but Paul is pointing the big guns at the arrogance of this church that they would tolerate such a sinful practice over and over again. That leads to chapter 6, verses 1 through 11, another interesting section in 1 Corinthians. I call it the Corinthian lawsuit section. You can look down in your Bible as I briefly describe it there, verses 1 through 11. And you'd learn as you're reading through it this week that there were some within the assembly who were insisting on their own rights, financial rights. So much so that they were going down to the law courts in Corinth and torpedoing the testimony of Christ in the city of Corinth. You see, they wanted their own thing. So I call this the sin of greed. Sin of greed, there were some in the assembly who were not content to allow the Lord to work it all out. They demanded their own rights and they were damaging the cause of Christ. 1 Corinthians 6, 1 through 11. It leads into the last part of chapter 6 for Paul to return to another demonstration of immorality. You see in the slide behind me the problems of immorality, arrogance, and greed. It returns to immorality in chapter 6, verses 12 through 20. We don't have the time to look at all of this, but look in your Bible at verse 13 just to get a picture of the church at Corinth. 1 Corinthians 6, 13. The Bible says, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. You notice if you have an ESV Bible, what happens here at this section is that phrase is within quotation marks, which is an indication that the, the translators of the new, or the, the, the uh people who translated for the ESV believe that that is a statement that the Corinthian church was making. That was a Corinthian slogan. They would say things like, food is for the stomach and the stomach for food. Okay. Now, now how do we normally respond to that sort of idea as good Baptist, right? God gave us a stomach for food and, and food for our stomachs. Can I hear an amen? Right. <laughs> Typical Baptist, yeah, that sounds good. But in my Bible, I've taken that last quotation mark away from, away from verse 13 after the word food. Scribbled that out. And then I put quotation marks after the next phrase because the Corinthians were not just saying God gave us stomachs for food and food for the stomach. They're also saying, and God will destroy both one and the other. End quotation. The Corinthian church, some of them were saying, you know what, God gave us a stomach for food, food for the stomach, and God gave us other features of our bodies for our own enjoyment, and we can do whatever we want with them, because in the end, our bodies will not be resurrected. The following? Then notice Paul's response right after that. Verse 13. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Paul says, your thinking is entirely skewed. You cannot do whatever you want with your body. You cannot go down to the temple prostitutes in Corinth and engage in immorality and claim that it's just fine. And that leads Paul at the end of this text in verses 19 and 20 to offer up some of the best verses in our Bibles that talk about our relationship to the Spirit of God. Look at verse 19. Or do you not know that your body, your body, your physical body, is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you're bought with a price, so glorify God with your what? Body. Paul is going after the sin of immorality, arrogance, and greed. Skip a few chapters in, in chapter eleven. Chapter 11 can be divided in two sections. Verses 2 through 16, if you've got something that gives you a header in your Bible, is head coverings, women in head coverings. It seems to be that there was some sort of dispute in the church of Corinth about whether or not women had to wear head coverings in church. I can't wait to get to this section. Right? This should be a lot of fun when we get there in December or whenever that, <laughs> whenever that is. The next section, chapter 11, verses 17 through 34, is a, uh, about a, a, an abuse of the Lord's table. There were some in the church of Corinth so insisting on their own way, they would, they would come to a meal that was connected or associated with the Lord's table, and they would gorge themselves on food, and they would take up all of the beverages for themselves while other people were getting nothing. And so Paul says at the end of the text, Wait one another. He's dealing with a problem of self-centeredness and worship, whether that was women and their participation in the services, or whether that was at the Lord's table and insisting on their own things there as well. And then there is one last problem he deals with in this book in chapter 15. Chapter 15 is called the great resurrection chapter by many people, 58 verses. And uh, what is obvious from verse 12 that I read to you is that the problem that he's going after here is that some in the church were saying that there will, there will be no bodily resurrection at the end. Okay, we might be able to connect that with what chapter 6 and what we just read to say that, you know, and so because of that, they're involving in all sorts of different sins. But the way that Paul deals with this is he goes about defending the future resurrection of bodies by declaring the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay? <clears throat> and he gets these opponents in the church of Corinth to basically admit, can we all agree Jesus resurrected bodily? Okay? And if you get them to agree with you there, then it's over. Because what Paul will say is, just as Jesus rose again from the dead, He is the first fruits of our resurrection. His bodily resurrection proves and anticipates the day when we as believers will be resurrected again. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul defends that and he declares what our resurrection bodies will be like. It's a very interesting text. I encourage you to look at it this week. If you want to know what our bodies will be like in heaven, read 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And then he ends with those powerful words in verse 58. In verse 58 because there is a bodily resurrection he says to the Corinthian assembly therefore my beloved brothers be steadfast immovable always abounding in the work of the Lord knowing that your uh, that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So this is his final solution. To the problem of doubt or skepticism. But there's one other thing that he does in the book, and we can go quickly through these together. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 1. 7 and verse 1. I really like it when Paul the Apostle gives us his outline. It gives you like little hooks. I mean, before we see these sort of things, we have like 16 chapters of a lot of information. But then we see, all throughout the first part, there is, he heard about a problem here. He heard about this problem, this problem. How can some of you say that? He's he's heard of problems from Chloe's people and the three travelers. But he gives another mechanism that helps us understand his outline. Look at 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 1. Paul says, Now concerning the matters about which you wrote... If you've got an ESV Bible, you know right after the word wrote is, is a colon and then quotation marks. It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. It appears that Paul had received a letter from the church of Corinth that asked him questions or made statements that they wanted Paul the Apostle to respond to. And what is really incredible is the way that every time he answers one of these questions, or he deals with a Corinthian statement from their letter to him, he puts the same marker in the text. It's the Greek terms, day, and they're translated in the ESV here as now concerning. Now concerning. So if you've got your Bible, look at 7.1. Now concerning. Look at 7.25. Now concerning the betrothed. Paul has some things to say about single people in the churches of Corinth. Look at 1 Corinthians 8 and verse 1. Now concerning food offered to idols. You see, they had asked him a question or made a statement about whether or not they could eat meat offered to idols. And Paul responds to their questions there. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts. And then three chapters to help them with that question from their letter. Now concerning spiritual gifts, go to 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 1. 1 Corinthians, I remember the first time I ever saw these, I was riveted. Riveted. God's Word is beautiful. The Spirit included these words for us. 1 Corinthians 16, 1. Now concerning the collection for the saints. The Corinthian church had some questions about an offering. That was being generated for the churches of Jerusalem. And they would ask those questions as well. And Paul responds to them. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 12 is the final one. Now concerning our brother Apollos. And so let me just briefly work through these questions. The first question has to do with marriage relationships. 1 Corinthians 7 verses 1 through 24. Paul's responding to all sorts of questions. And input from the church in their letter, they, they'd ask questions about how they should treat each other in marriage. And uh, 1 Corinthians 7, 1-7 is a response really to a pious view of some Christians who were saying that their relationship with the Lord was sufficient and enough, and so they were avoiding intimacy with their spouse in marriage. And so Paul answers or deals with that, and he deals with other things related to marriage in verses 1-24. through 24. Verse 25 is, through 40 would be questions concerning the unmarried. So I would uh, divide this, the unmarried. This would be both betrothed or engaged couples, and then at the end of the text in verses 39 and 40, people had been widowed or widowers. There's some great texts here that help us develop principles for singleness that I trust will be of a huge blessing to the church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 1, The Corinthians asked Paul about meat which has been offered to idols. It was a huge dispute for them and their assembly. Hopefully you're getting a picture now of this church. They're divided up into different groups. They're trying to figure out what to do and how to handle life situations. And one of the controversies they had was, can we eat meat that had been formally sacrificed to an idol? And so what the practice was in Corinth in some of these places is, In an idol temple, they would sacrifice the meat and then they would take it to the market just next door and they would sell it cheap. It's the Aldi's of the first century, I call it. (laughs) Cheap meat. And their question is, can we eat this meat or not? They asked Paul a very simple question. It takes him three chapters to answer. Sometimes simple questions have complex answers. And Paul gives them six things to think about before they eat that meat. At the end, he gets really practical. And he, in chapter 10, the, the solution to understanding the end part of chapter 10 is to see Paul saying, well, you know what? When you're down at the meat market, this is what you should do. Or if, if, if you're in the home of an unbeliever, this is what you should do. Or if you're in an idol temple, this is what you should do. And his answers vary. He ends all of this, though, in chapter 10 by making that statement that many of us love. He says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the what? Glory of God. Lays out the principle of the glorification of God at the end of the text. We'll talk more about those chapters. Chapters 12 through 14, a section about spiritual gifts. For sake of time, I'll skip over that. Question of giving. Giving. Paul was generating a church for the, or gift for the churches of Jerusalem. He wanted the Corinthians to give to that. So he answers questions that they have about that gift. And then he answers questions about fellow apostles in verses 10 through 12. So, in 1 Corinthians, Paul handles problems and he answers questions. For our last five minutes this morning... I want to look at a driving theme. Is there a driving theme in uh, 1 Corinthians? I've explored a few themes in my opportunities to preach and teach this book. At, at one point, I said it was about division. Another point, I said, no, it's not division. Chapter 3 might, might have me think that it's, it's about fleshliness, demonstrations of fleshliness. Or the Corinthians... Behaving in carnal ways. I abandoned that one a while ago, and I thought, well, maybe it's about the gospel because there's a lot about the gospel in the book, and I think that's helpful. But just recently, actually, I think you're the first, first group I've ever talked to about this. I think that the driving theme of the book has to do with love. It has to do with love. Of course, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul devotes an entire chapter to love. It forms a critical point in the book. Chapters 12 through 14 are about spiritual gifts, like like tongues, prophecy, and knowledge. And sandwiched right in the middle, at the core, at the center, is a chapter where Paul says, you know what, don't be mesmerized by the gifts. Instead, focus on the fruit of love. Whatever you do, do in love. So, at the core of 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, you've got this chapter about love. But turn to 1 Corinthians 8 for a moment. You'll see that at other places in the book, you have emphasis on love. Paul mentions love at the beginning of this major section, the, the other major section. There are two sections of three chapters. There's 12 through 14 on spiritual gifts, there's 8 through 10 about food offered to idols. And at the beginning of that section on food offered to idols, look at 1 Corinthians 8 and verse 1. Paul says, Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. Okay, I think this is what the Corinthians are saying. They are, they are boasting in knowledge. They know what to do with the meat offered to idols. But notice what Paul says. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know, but if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Paul says, you want to talk about a type of knowledge that's important? How about the type of person that God knows? God knows people who love him and love others. And so right at the beginning of this section too, he says, whatever you do, if you're going to eat the meat or not, if you're going to go in the idol temple or not, you must do so out of love. So it's the center, it's the beginning of this section. But love plays an important role in other sections as well. I want to submit to you that the problems that we went through in the book can also be seen as things that love would never do. Right? So for instance, the Corinthians were obsessed with acquisition. So much so that they were suing each other in the law courts of Corinth. But love does not envy and does not insist on its own way. Right? Remember those verses? 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Well, the text tells us as well, Love is not arrogant and does not boast. Unfortunately, however, some of the Corinthians were arrogant and boasting about an immoral man worshiping in their assembly. That's what love wouldn't do. The sexual immorality itself is a manifestation of something that's far from love. Lust, perhaps, not love. Love is patient and is kind. But the Corinthians are not, at least many of them. They're not even willing to wait for each other as they're eating food and drinking up all the beverages while their friends are getting nothing. The way they were partaking in the Lord's table and the meal associated with it is the exact opposite of love. I find this emphasis at the very close of the book as well. Let's turn to our final passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Thank you so much for following along. Again, I'm just desiring to whet our appetites the book and then for this theme. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, as Paul typically does, he ends with some bullet fire imperatives. Look in your Bible at verse 13. There are five of them. 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Got that, women? Just kidding. Act like men. Be strong. Let all you do be done in love. Whoa! Now that's an emphasis I've seen all throughout the book. Let everything you do, Corinthian church, be done out of love. It's extremely important. Since you're in that chapter, verse 22, by the way, it says, if anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. This book is about love. It's the driving theme of the epistle. And the importance of love for believers is without question as well. Years ago, I remember someone giving a seminar that I was at. And a theologian stood at the front of the room and he made a statement. He says, I'm going to make this kind of premise statement and I want you all to respond to it. I want you to think about it. Here's his statement. The statement was this. If I love like I should, I would never sin. So once you think about that, I want you to tell me what you think. If I love like I should, I would never sin. You know, at first my reaction to that was I didn't like it. Say, ah, but that's too simple. It's too easy. There's like so many sins in the Bible, There's like so many commands, like even in the law of Moses, for instance. So my first reaction was, I don't like it. I don't think it's right. But over time, I became convinced that he was right. If we love God and we love others the way that we should, we would not sin. Perhaps this is why Jesus was able to summarize the law with its two greatest commands. Remember this? The greatest command. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, thy soul, and thy mind. And the second is likened to it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Perhaps this is also why in the list of spiritual fruit in the book of Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. It's the first fruit of the Spirit. It's the primary fruit of the Spirit from which all the other fruit grow. And so... As we go throughout this year for a theme for 1 Corinthians, we'll stress the very first words after the great love chapter. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 1, Paul says, Pursue love. Men and women, love is an important topic for us, it will be the object of my pastoral prayers for myself. And for you, we will grow in love. Well, if we grow in love, we'll be able to handle problems and answer questions throughout our Christian experience as well. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for the privilege of looking at this book. What an amazing epistle. Well-structured, Lord, to, to demonstrate the main ideas that you have for us. And Lord, as we think of a driving theme for this book, I pray that this year our church would grow in our ability to love God, love our neighbors, love other brothers and sisters in the Lord in this church. We pray that you would do this work for your own honor and your own glory. In Jesus' name, amen.